0: I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we go off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, as always. Dan, Maya, Galen, Linda, Teresa, my dear three Emmas, Jessica, Lady Janice, Marie, Elena, Alethea, John, Katora's Nanette, Rachel, Sam, Sophie, Whitney, David, Catherine, Trudy, Stacy, and Holly. Thank you guys so, so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patron. Like, share, and subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. So this week's podcast will be on the Montauk Project, which is considered a conspiracy theory. Without further ado, let's get into it. Now, some of you might have heard of the Montauk Project, thanks to the Netflix series Stranger Things. It is rumored that the show was actually slated to be called Montauk before the producers switched the setting to Indiana instead of Long Island at New York. But the sort of connection between Character Eleven and the Demogorgon and how that opened a connection to the Upside Down is based on an event in Montauk, Long Island, in 1983. So what is Montauk exactly? According to its Chamber of Commerce, it is located in New York in the town of East Hampton on the Atlantic Ocean and Block Island Sound and is known for its beautiful beaches like ditch plains, oceanfront places to stay, things to do for kids, fishing surfing, paddling, seafood restaurants, nature trails, events, music and art festivals, and even weddings. Its wiki page states that Montauk encompasses an area that stretches approximately 13 miles or 21 kilometers and that it is 118 miles east of midtown Manhattan. Montauk boasts the first lighthouse in New York State and is the fourth oldest active lighthouse in the U.S. This area, of course, has a rich and colorful history that I could easily take hours to describe to you, but basically it was inhabited by Native Americans and in the 17th century, Europeans settled there. During the 18th century, Congress authorized the construction of the Montauk Lighthouse, which was completed in 1796. The 19th century saw the boat, La Amistad, come ashore looking for supplies, and the locals took the slaves from the ship and freed them. And then, in 1898, the United States Army bought some property there to establish a base called Camp Wickoff, which was used to quarantine Army personnel who were returning from the Spanish-American War. One soldier in particular being Theodore Roosevelt and his Rough Riders. But it is important to note that the first military activities have now begun in Montauk. So during World War II, the U.S. Navy bought most of the east end of the island, including Montauk Manor, to turn it into a military base, naming it Fort Pond Bay. The U.S. Army established Camp Hero for protecting New York's shipping industry. Several concrete bunker observation posts were built all along the coast, and there is one immediately to the east of the lighthouse. The base buildings were disguised so that, from above, they would look like a New England fishing village. In 1957, the Army closed Camp Hero, which was then taken over by the Air Force, and they began building a giant radar. And this is where the conspiracy, or rumors, begin. The Montauk Project is again a conspiracy theory that suggests that during the Cold War in the early to mid-80s, there were a series of United States government projects or experiments performed at Camp Hero or Montauk Air Force Station for the purpose of developing psychological warfare techniques as well as researching time travel and teleportation. So where did this idea come from? It is said that the Montauk Project story came from a self-published book written by Preston B. Nichols titled, quote, The Montauk Project Experiments in Time. There is an online PDF of this book that I'll link in the notes. He starts his book by saying, quote, To the immediate west of the lighthouse, there is a mysterious and derelict Air Force base on the grounds of old Fort Hero. Although it was officially decommissioned and abandoned by the U.S. Air Force in 1969, it was subsequently reopened and continued to operate without the sanction of the U.S. government. The entire financing for the base is also a mystery. No funding can be traced to the military or government. Officials of the U.S. government have probed for answers without success— the secrecy of the operation has prompted legends to thrive across Long Island. However, it is unlikely that any of the local people of Montauk, or those who spread the tales, know the full story of what actually went on there. End quote. So Preston, who said in the documentary Montauk Chronicles, which you can watch for free, and I'll put that link in the notes, said that his IQ was tested at 200+. He states that a, quote, circle of insiders believe that the genesis of the Montauk project was a development after a culmination of phenomena experienced on that ship, the USS Eldridge, in 1943, which most of us would know of as the Philadelphia Experiment, in which the ship reportedly just disappeared while the Navy conducted radar invisibility experiments. And that, in and of itself, is a whole other thing, but I'm going to try to stay on task. This book claims that by 1983, after secret research and experiments had been conducted over three decades, the accumulation of which ripped a hole through space-time or creating a portal where people could move through time. Preston states that, quote, while brainwashing and threats have been attempted to silence him, he has, in fact, survived and wanted to tell his story, which he emphatically says is nonfiction and contains no falsehoods to the best of his knowledge. Okay, with that out of the way, the book alleges that what we know as the Philadelphia Experiment was originally known as the Rainbow Project to those intimately involved, and they were attempting to end World War II by experimenting with a technique to make a ship invisible to enemy radar. Sounds good so far. They created what they called an electromagnetic bottle which diverted radar waves around the ship, thus changing the electromagnetic field around any object. Only, instead of just making the ship invisible, It apparently removed it from the space-time continuum, and the ship then reappeared in Norfolk, Virginia, which is more than 200 miles away. Now, this document states that the ship and the people aboard all left the physical universe, okay, and when they re-entered, so to speak, some of the people had become like a physical part of the ship. How I would try to describe that to perhaps my listeners who might not understand or from other countries aren't English speaking, it's as if the atoms that made up the ship and the atoms that made up those unfortunate crew members got scattered together, and when the boat and the crew came back to this time, their atoms were then fused together. I hope that makes sense. It was said that other crew members materialized completely and physically inside out. But the crew members that survived reported being very disoriented and horrified and were quickly discharged from their service as mentally unfit after spending quite a long time in rehabilitation. And due to that particular wording for their discharge, it was believed that no one would believe their story. After this, a Dr. John von Neumann, who was the head of this project, moved on to the Manhattan Project, which is yet another rabbit hole we could go down some other time. But apparently, the research after this incident was still a priority. So Preston states that though he wasn't interested in paranormal things at the time, he obtained a grant to study mental telepathy to try to prove or disprove it was real. He determined it was real and used telepathic waves acting much like radio waves, and this was the genesis of his interest in metaphysics. So in 1974, this led to him discovering that the psychics that he worked with would be for about 20 minutes at a time each day, mentally jammed as he described it, when the airwaves were between 410 to 420 megahertz. So he put together some homemade equipment and decided to track where these waves were coming from and lo and behold, his equipment took him to Montauk Point and the waves were coming directly from the giant antenna that had been built on the Air Force base that was supposedly abandoned. Only he said he found that the base was still active. He attempted to ask about the base, but he said there were guards that would not answer his questions. At this point, he wasn't able to find anything further. Then in 1984, he got a phone call from a colleague stating the base was now completely abandoned and he would be able to explore, and he did, and he found it fairly dilapidated. After many phone calls, he was able to meet with a man who told him that because no one, not even the military, would claim any of the old equipment in the building, he would be free to take anything he wanted and then got him in touch with the caretaker of the base." Preston went back to the base and brought with him one of his psychics, and he encountered a homeless man who said he had been living in the facility since it was abandoned. The homeless man then went on to tell him that he recognized Preston as being his boss in that very facility while they had been doing experiments. One such experiment at that base had produced a big beast that appeared and scared everyone away, but more on that later. His psychic friend told him, too, that he was getting a reading that there had been irregular weather patterns, mind control, and a vicious beast, and that any animals that had been in the facility had reacted and literally busted through the windows to get out. Then, while he was at work, another man allegedly walked into his office claiming that he, too, had worked for him at that facility, which, of course, Preston had no memory of. And so he began asking the locals there, going into the bars, people on the beach, on the street, everywhere. He said six of the people he talked to stated that very strange things had happened around their local area. Examples were that it had snowed in August, hurricane-force winds that came from nothing, unusual storms, and so on. They spoke of animals grouping together oddly and crashing through windows of people in town and other strange stories. And yet another man inserted himself into Preston's studies of Montauk. He told Preston that he had been programmed to befriend him, then kill him and blow up his lab. This man said he had been part of the Philadelphia experiment. So with his new information that he was sure would get him killed while he embarked on a journey to Chicago and spoke about it at a convention. Eventually, this led to Preston realizing that he must be, quote, existing on two separate time tracks. With the help of one of his psychic friends, he went under hypnosis and tried to track his time through memory regression, among other techniques, to get his memories back. So he remembered suppressed memories of being a working scientist at Montauk. Another man, Al Bielek, stated he used New Age therapies and practices and was able to unlock a whole host of repressed memories about not only his involvement with the Philadelphia experiment, but also the Montauk project, and he claimed the two were connected. So why could neither Preston or Al remember their time working on these projects? Well, they suggest their memories have been erased using the CIA's MKUltra mind control methods to keep people quiet about it. Al spoke at the Mutual UFO Network conference in 1990, saying the Philadelphia experiment was indeed real, and that Nikola Tesla himself had created the equipment that had been used to make that ship move through space-time, and that it had, in fact, opened a wormhole into the future. So 1943 was then directly connected to 1983, Now guys, side note, Nikola Tesla died before the keel of the ship was even laid down, which then negates Tesla's involvement in this entirely. I'm just saying. Preston states in his book that after the incident with the ship, eventually, Dr. von Neumann and his team were called back to begin new research into what happened, what went wrong with the human factor of the experiment, and why it had overall failed. They also wanted to research controlling weather patterns. This accumulation of reviewing and researching these different things came to be known as the Phoenix Project. This project actually has led to achieving stealth technology that the military does actually use today, so there's that. What they discovered was that in order to make that ship invisible, they had removed it from the normal plane of existence. But the new reality it had materialized in, so to speak, had no connection to our plane of existence, and this had made all of the crew members very disoriented, not to mention the horrible fate of the few who had either been turned inside out or made a physical part of that ship. So the solution was to create a sort of background that would be used to recreate the time reference points that we, as biological beings, could then mentally plug into, and that would solve the problem. For reference, they termed this as time reference points. He basically says that when we are conceived, the energy that makes up the signature that is us— is then immediately attached to that timeline, and we all start from that point, our soul, if that helps. In the book, Preston states, quote, Our whole reference as a physical and metaphysical being stems from that time reference, which actually resides within the electromagnetic background of our planet. This Thai reference is the basic orientation point you have to the universe and the way it operates. Are you with me so far? After around 10 years of this research and the developing computers that would produce the needed effect for the safety of anyone going through such an experiment, the project was considered complete in 1967, and an alleged report was then given to Congress that, long story short, said the human mind could be altered by the use of electromagnetics, and it was possible to create devices capable of changing the way people think. Articles I read said that Congress feared the end result of such an experiment with mass mind control that it cut off all funding for the project and ordered the Phoenix Project to be completely shut down in 1969. However, the group that had been working on this for so many years refused to give up. It is said that they went straight to the military and informed them on what they were working on and its capabilities with regards to using electromagnetic technologies to control the minds of humans. They advertised it as, quote, a device that could make the enemy surrender without a battle simply by throwing a switch. End quote. Now, this would be like finding a gold mine to the military, and I think we could all agree on that. Now, with the military on board, they now needed a place to continue their experiments in secret, complete anonymity. They needed the military to supply them with the necessary equipment and trusted employees. Oh, and a really large radar that could operate around mm, 425 to 450 megahertz, as this was apparently one of the window frequencies for cracking open and getting into the consciousness of another human. And the military had just the perfect secret site with a giant radar, the decommissioned Air Force Base at Montauk Point. And so, in 1970, the base was reopened. The funding came from, according to Preston, none other than the Nazis themselves in the form of $10 billion in Nazi gold. Again, a whole other story. I'm trying to stay on topic. So for this next part, fans of zombie shows and movies will really enjoy this. The scientists began having people sit in a chair in a room behind a door, and they would be bombarded with differing intensities of radio frequencies at different megahertz from different distances. This was the experiment. What they found was that the people who were exposed to a strong enough field to influence their brainwaves for several days caused a great deal of damage. You see, according to this book, this would make the subject, quote, brain dead, but still be able to be up and walking around. The brain stem was essentially still alive and functioning, as was the spinal cord and the body, but the higher brain was effectively dead. Think about the scene in The Walking Dead where the group was at the Atlanta CDC. So, if this were true, which again, this is just a conspiracy theory, people that they did this to would be walking, completely controllable cattle, easily herded into whatever behavior outcome was desired. Yikes. The way they explain why people would still be able to appear alive and higher functioning is that the soul or the psychic energy part of the human that was attached to the physical body would still be aware enough to appear alive. Interpret that however you wish. I'm not advocating religion here. More experimentation produced a way to continue to bombard people, and let's be honest, nearly all of them in the early days were military men with no knowledge this was happening to them with these rays, but in a way that was much less harmful so that the people would not suffer such brain damage and boom same control over their very thought patterns, same mood-altering capabilities, and so they began this, and they monitored the people while changing their thoughts and moods. And then the experimentation, allegedly, went beyond using just military men to the locals of Long Island, then on into New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Oh, and as a side note, They were supposedly also able to use these waves to stop all electrical functioning in vehicles, including military vehicles. So if this were true, it makes purchasing one of those fully electric cars the government is pushing us all to buy very scary. But I digress. So here's the part where we get to the aliens. Before the abandoned Air Force Base was opened back up and used for human thought and control experimentation, a type of sensor technology was developed that could, apparently, literally, display a person's thoughts, a mind-reading machine. They used a chair, and around this chair were coils that served as sensors, and Preston tells us in his book that while the technology development for this device is a mystery, research suggests it was from the Sirians, which, you know, are an alien race who came from the star system known as Sirius. They gave the humans the technology for this. So the device would then pick up on the electromagnetic waves or aura of the person in the chair and send the information digitally to a computer that would then print out the dialogue of thoughts. The person could visualize something and the computer could interpret that and print out a picture of that thing. Now, the scientists at Montauk got their hands on this chair-coil device and would then put a person in the chair who would project out an alternate reality at the other employees there. This is the infamous Montauk chair, and it solved the problem of people, unlike the crew of that ship, getting extremely disoriented while in another reality. Things were going smoothly until 1975 when they realized that if one of the psychics projected a reality that wasn't consistent with our reality, or rather the flow of time in our reality, it would cause connections to split. These small glitches in space-time, we experience them as deja vu, or what we Matrix fans just call a glitch in the Matrix. But once they got everything tweaked, they were able to put a psychic in the Montauk chair. That person could visualize any object, from something quite small to even something as big as a whole building, and that very object would appear on the base. Sometimes it was just occupying space, but wasn't a solid object, like a ghost, if you will, but other times it would be solid and would appear every bit as real as anything around it. But the chair did make it possible for the psychic in the chair to also see, hear, and feel another person's external stimuli, and they would extend this to any person on the planet. The psychic, now plugged into that person, so to speak, could control them and how they think and even project thoughts into that person's mind. Today, we know this as remote viewing. And we see on the show, Stranger Things, that Eleven uses a device put over her head, working like the Montauk chair, where she can open a portal to another dimension that the show calls the upside down. Preston states, quote, by 1978, the mind control techniques were fully developed and recorded. Appropriate tapes were made and distributed to different agencies so they could be developed into something practical. End quote. In 1980, one of the psychics was able to sit in the Montauk chair, think about ten years into the future, and boom, a time portal would appear. So during this time, they explored time. Okay. With their supposed back and forth through time portals that their psychic could create, Preston said in his writings that they would grab derelicts, or people that seem to be of no importance, and he stresses people like alcoholics and the like, sober them up for a couple of weeks, then have them walk through the time portal. Only an alarming amount of the time, they wouldn't come back, so they'd be lost in some random time. Now, this brings us to the next level. This is also when Preston says they began to use children. They had one boy who they used as a recruiter to get other children to come to the Montauk facility to be used as guinea pigs. This was so successful that they were able to influence a group of kids to recruit many other children as far as the New York metro area away to be used at the facility, some being taken right out of their home. Though most were in their mid-teens who were prostituting themselves, runaways, drug addicts, and so on, the age range was described as 10 to 16 years of age, But sources state the children were as young as four years old. But he estimates that between 3,000 to 10,000 people were lost during this phase overall. This would be known as the Montauk Boys Project. According to Preston, the children used to experiment on for mind control were so psychologically broken down by the Montauk Project that most would forget all about their time at Camp Hero for the rest of their lives. One man, Stuart Swerdlow, during his interview for the Montauk Chronicles, remembers a family vacation spent in Montauk in 1970, and that, when they drove past the Air Force Base, he instantly felt a pull to it, as if he knew what was going on there and that there were levels below the base. He states he recovered from his traumatic memories, told The Sun, quote, When the experiments started, they'd target expendable boys like orphans, runaways, or the children of drug addicts, the kind of kids no one would really come looking for. The aim was to fracture your mind so they could program you. They would change the temperature from very hot to very cold, starve you, then overfeed you, I remember being beaten with a wooden pole, and they loved to hold your head underwater until you nearly drowned. That was effective. It makes a person likely to listen to and obey their rescuer. They also used LSD to put our brains into an altered state. He also said that, quote, Sometimes they would throw you in a cement room and take some kind of metal rod and hit you with it. There were a number of people that would administer the torture. They were not always the same person, so I would not develop a relationship with them. End quote. He stressed that it was always men, never a woman. All of this torture was to manipulate and split the mind so that it would be more malleable. Now, Preston said that you could hide the programming behind the trauma block and one of his jobs was to sort of piece the minds of these boys back together after programming. Stewart also mentions that the intense fear and terror would produce adrenochrome and folks, that's yet another huge rabbit hole that I don't want to step in in this particular podcast. Again, there is a lot more to this, so I encourage you to watch the documentary to get their complete descriptions if you're curious. But needless to say, it sounds absolutely horrible. Stewart then went on to say that he personally witnessed animals being murdered, people being murdered members of the staff sexually abusing and assaulting the boys and he went so far as to say he and other boys were sent to a settlement created on the planet Mars as well as sent all the way back to biblical times to gather DNA samples. I mean, wow. In this documentary, Stewart told us that in his later childhood, He knew he was being abducted by aliens and that it would always start as shadows moving about in his room. He described having this intense depression and not wanting to go on, and that his only comfort really was when he watched old sci-fi shows like Star Trek or The Twilight Zone. But, like all good things, or bad in this case, the Montauk Project came to an end. Preston stated, quote, We finally decided we'd had enough of the whole experiment. The contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan, that was the psychic, while he was in the chair and simply whispering, the time is now. At this moment, he let loose a monster from his subconscious and the transmitter actually portrayed a hairy monster. It was big, hairy, hungry, and nasty it showed up somewhere on the base it would eat anything it could find and it smashed everything in sight several different people saw it but almost everyone described a different beast end quote. preston said that in the end they had to destroy all of the equipment in order to remove the beast from existence and send it back to its own dimension This is clearly the inspiration for a similar situation in Stranger Things, where Eleven accidentally summons the Demogorgon, which similarly goes on to do terrible things. Once the men were able to purge the beast and destroy all of the equipment, they allegedly filled the underground facilities with concrete and the rest of it is now completely flooded with water. Anyone involved with the Montauk Project had their memories wiped using MK-Ultra techniques. And while this will not surprise any of you, the U.S. government has denied any of this is true. But is there any truth to this at all? As most things go, fiction usually has its roots in some drop of truth. We know MK-Ultra was a real thing. There are declassified documents that are easily found all over the internet. We know that the disenfranchised citizens of the entire world have been used for a number of unspeakable things. So is it so far-fetched that they would also use children? The sex trade is very real. We know this. Many of the other creators, similar to myself, have made so much content talking about people and children who just vanish off the face of the earth. We chuckle to ourselves when we occasionally stumble across those social media posts about a found time traveler who states they are from another time and hasn't the government already admitted to unidentified flying objects? I don't believe that they have flat out said there are little green men flying to earth yet, but who knows? And we have plenty of scientists who say that time travel might be possible or plausible. Yet we also have paradoxes to that that seem to disprove the ability to travel through time. And this is just merely scratching the surface, friends. Please let me know if you enjoyed this and if you would like me to scratch the surface of other conspiracy theories. But tell me, guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below, or you can DM me on Instagram, at serial underscore killing. All of my contact information is in the notes, but most importantly, thank you so much for listening, guys, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much again, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer, and whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time. And then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing.